Ciao, this is Lucas. Welcome to the Toast of the Wild East, podcast for ambitious Toastmasters willing to raise their game. In this podcast, I interview guests willing to share their insights about applying what they learn in Toastmasters in their professional career to help you do the same. You'll get updates about new episodes and daily Toastmasters tips if you follow at ToastWild on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today you can look forward to the second part of the interview with John Zimmer, professional speaker, nine times Toastmasters district champion, blogger at mannerofspeaking.org, and many other things. Today we're starting where we left off last time, speaking of different ways to improve public speaking, John's and Florian Mook's public speaking board game rhetoric, and how to become a pro speaker. And more topics. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. On one more topic, which in my eyes is a little bit connected to writing and combined with public speaking. Do you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert? I think I'm on the extrovert side, but I don't know the right, there are, I'm at the same time, I'm very happy being alone. I'm very happy sitting in a room with people and just listening. I have no problem being outgoing and being on stage, whether it's giving a speech or doing improv. I'm part of an improv group here in Geneva and performing in front of 100, 150 people. I love doing that. And, but at the same time, I have, I have no problem, again, just sitting back and, and letting others go forward. So probably, how about a quiet extrovert? Is that, is that, a, th- is that a thing? Is that a thing? A humble extrovert? I don't know. <laughs> I think we can, we can make it a thing today. Um, it's interesting you're mentioning that because always, and maybe it's because I also experienced you as a trainer in that brilliant setup of spectacular speaking with Olivia Schofield and Florian Mook and Peter Zinn. And so in my eyes, always it would be Florian and Olivia who would be, you know, these extremely loud people forcing other people to be extremely loud also. And it was mo- you and Peter who are more, you know, chill and, and quiet. Yeah, but I think that, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. But it's always it's always about about comparisons and, and contrasts, right? So, but but you know, and this this touches on a, on a very important point for public speakers. There there, uh-huh. you can be incredibly effective, regardless of your style. And I remember years ago, years ago in Toronto, when I was in my law firm, I'd just been in my first or second year, and every year there was this big four-day event in Toronto where lawyers and judges from Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom came together and they gave this four-day masterclass on how to be a good litigator, a lawyer who goes to court all the time. And there were demonstrations Mm -hmm. of opening statements and closing statements and how to interview, how to cross-examine witnesses. And it was an incredible experience because you saw all these different styles. And I always remember on the on the last day, there was a demonstration of closing arguments. And it was this American lawyer, a big six foot four, huge, very larger than life Texan who talked with a real Texas drawl and he talked like that. And he was incredible. And he gave this, he gave this rousing, emotional closing. And I always remember he ended, when he ended, he was, now this is a very American style, but he ended, he said, um, what did he say? He said, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, 
When I go home tonight, my little girl's going to ask me, Daddy, what did you do today? And I'm going to tell her, sweetheart, I tried to do some good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, what are you going to say? Well, the audience goes crazy. Everybody's clapping. And, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, how is his opponent, the other lawyer, going to respond? And the other lawyer was from the United Kingdom. His head only came up to the Texan's shoulders, a very small <laughs> man in the black robes and the wig. Mm -hmm. He came out with the glasses on his nose. And people are still applauding. And he waited. And then I remember how he began. He said, yes, yes, yes. A very emotional speech by my friend, Mr. Tigar. Thank you very much. But, but ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you are not here today to decide this case on emotion. You are here to decide it on the facts and the law. Oh, and wow. are the facts. <laughs> and then he just went through it in his own style. And by the end, people were again cheering wildly because he was brilliant. And that experience really taught me that you can be your own person on stage and still be effective. And that's really what it's all about. It's uh, Oscar Wilde who said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. And that was the real, a real big lesson for me. That, that's a great example. Do you think maybe you could, from your experience, because I know that you're working professionally, both in trainings, but you're also coaching individual clients. Do you, in your opinion, what are, let's say, the advantages and disadvantages of extroverts and introverts in public speaking? Obviously, if you're extrovert, I think, well, I shouldn't say obviously, perhaps, but in most cases, in my experience, extroverts have the energy, they are more outgoing on the stage, they can connect with different emotions, they often, their voice often, there's a lot of variety in the voice because they are so expressive. At the same time though, introverts can carry across this feeling of gravitas, of here's somebody who, here's somebody who I trust, here's somebody who knows what he's talking about. Uh, it's hard to generalize because, of course, you can have extroverts who bring gravitas and you can have introverts who also bring emotion. So I don't want people to think, well, if you're an extrovert, you only have this. And if you're an introvert, you only have that. It's not the case. But the one thing I would say, and this is more not so much in terms of an advantage, but a piece of advice is this. For if somebody has a general reserved style on stage, then what I always try to get them to do is at key moments, get them to raise the voice just a little bit, all the while while still being themselves, of course, but getting them to inject a little more energy than they usually have, that catches the audience's attention. And by the same token, if somebody is constantly outgoing and this is their natural way of speaking and they're very energetic, which is fantastic. I say, I don't want you to lose that. But on occasion, you're going on and you're speaking with a lot of energy and you get to a key point and suddenly you lower your voice. That makes a big impact on the audience as well. Audiences love contrast. And so what I, what I would suggest to your listeners as as you reflect on your own speaking style. And if you have a tendency to lean one way or the other, always remember that contrast with your natural style from time to time can be a very powerful thing. Right. So be yourself, but also be someone different for the sake of, you know, making a point or 
showing contrast. I, I wouldn't say be someone different. I would just say be a different version of yourself. This I think I people people tend to think that oh I'm I'm you know we're not two dimensional creatures. We have a range of emotions. I don't care whether you're from Canada or Japan or any place in between. There are moments when you are sad, moments when you are angry, moments when you're happy, moments when you're incredibly excited. We have this range. And what I think happens, too many people when they get on stage, they put themselves in a rather small box and they think, well, I've mm -hmm. got to behave within this box. However, their natural box is much larger. And this is the beauty of a training, of a workshop where we can push people to go to extremes. It's the same with Toastmasters. You can go to an extreme, not because you're going to go to an extreme every time you have a real presentation or speech to give out in the real world. But in a training or a workshop, you can see what it feels like to go that far. And then it becomes a case of adjusting the dial. You know, when you turn on the radio or the TV, you adjust the volume. Is it too loud? Is it too soft? We can do that as well. Okay. I hadn't thought of that before. John, we were already speaking about different projects or different way how you engage with your audience in the area of public speaking. And I know one of them that is not quite usual. So everybody is writing speeches and doing blogs and recording videos, but you also created a board game. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, my pleasure. I co-created a board game with uh -huh. my good friend and your friend Florian Mück. We created a board game called Rhetoric, the public speaking game. It's a physical board game where you have little men and you roll the dice and you move your men around the board and every time you land on a square you have to stand up and give a one to two minute speech to the other players. There are cards that you can draw, topic cards, challenge cards. Sometimes the other players can ask you a question and you have to answer it. And we created the game because we wanted to make public speaking, we wanted to make it a fun event for people. As you know, a lot of people are very frightened when it comes to public speaking, they get very nervous. And we wanted to demystify the concept. And so it's a physical game. And after a couple years of having the physical game out there, we decided to turn it into an app. And one of the great things about the app is that you can add updates. So we have three different themes where you play either the classic version, which is the same as the physical uh, game. There's the business version and then there's the family version because we had a lot of feedback from parents who said, we played this game with our kids as young as eight or nine years old and they loved it and i do believe is if we can get kids speaking doing public speaking even as a game when they're young this is something that will stick with them and be very important for them as they progress so the app has different themes and what i'm very very proud about is that the app is currently in six languages english french german Russian, Spanish, and Catalan. So you can play in any of six different languages. That, that, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And I know that I was somehow, I had awareness about the game, but I think when the pandemic started and everybody got locked down at home, I think you did some 
special there was some special event or you were doing online plays of rhetoric right with florian and you're always inviting people to join you yes we 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 can you can connect you connect with i think it's airplay you connect Mm -hmm. to the my my iphone to the screen and then we had people playing online we would always have play with eight people and from around the world we we had people playing from as far away as the us to the west and india to the east how was it for you to connect with audience through that because i guess it's when you're writing a blog post you connect with the person reading it but i think when you create a game or co-create a game you also connect with the person playing the game right how i'm i imagine it was different but what was that like to connect like people with people through a game you created oh it's a lot of fun especially because a lot of these people that we who joined in we would just advertise it on our facebook page there's a game coming tonight first eight to sign up can play and mm-hmm. sometimes there were people i didn't know but you get to know people you get to know people through the course of the game because of course they answer questions or they pick cards and they talk about an experience about themselves usually and so you learn a little bit about uh, the people and the nice thing about the game as well is that everybody is all every time i've played the game everybody is always very supportive of everybody else you can uh-huh. play you can play competitively but on the app, there's a feature where you can turn it off. And I would say 99% of the time, people just turn it off and say, let's just play. Uh-huh. And, and what I think for me, the most gratifying aspect of the game is that I have seen people at the start who are very nervous about giving a speech. Mm-hmm. And it's their turn, they roll the dice, they stand up and they give the speech and it's fine and everybody else is applauding and cheering and and they feel good and they sit down then the other players get up and speak and then that first person who was nervous of course they are now applauding their fellow players well in about 10-15 minutes the turn has come back around the second time they get up they're a little less nervous and Mm -hmm. there have been I think in almost every game I've seen when people are nervous at the beginning by the middle of the game they are jumping up on the the stage so to speak because they they want to play because now they are just in their minds it's not so much that they're giving a speech they're just playing a game and they're having fun and what my hope is is that at the end of the game when they reflect on it and they think huh that wasn't so bad maybe if i can give a two-minute speech playing a game maybe i can give a five-minute presentation in my office maybe i can give that 10-minute speech at a conference and this is what i really hope the game stimulates in people i think this is really wonderful for a couple of reasons first of them being it sort of demystifies public speaking right makes it a lot less scary Mm -hmm. but but also for example in toastmasters you every time in a meeting if you want you can get to the stage and speak, but still it's just once a week or once every two weeks. But when you're playing the referee game, let's say with three of your friends, you get up and speak for maybe four or five times during the game. So you get a lot of reps. Uh, and I think that's really useful for practice because you practice with a higher frequency than just you know once, once in a long while. Very true. It's like doing reps at the gym. Yeah. So speaking of that, and um, because you have a lot of experience, not just public speaking, but also improving yourself public speaking in a focused way because you are competing or you still are competing at different contests. Mm, what do you think is the most effective way 
to get better at public speaking besides the obvious coming to your Toastmaster meeting, signing up for a speech and doing a speech? Years ago, I remember I was still in Canada. Nike came out with a very clever series of commercials about cross training. Mm -hmm. And they had professional athletes sponsoring the brand coming on and they would talk about how Monday I'm going for a jog and Tuesday I'm in the gym pumping weights and Wednesday I'm playing street hockey or basketball. And essentially the message was doing different kinds of sports over the, on a regular basis is going to make you more of, it puts you in better health. You're going to be healthier mm -hmm. and fitter. And I think you can apply the same principle to public speaking. I've had the real good fortune of being able to speak in many different types of situations from giving speeches on stage to arguing a case in court for several years. I was part of a radio program here in Switzerland on world radio, Switzerland about expat life in Switzerland. And that was mm -hmm. a form of speaking as well. I'm a member of an improv group here in Geneva. And when we perform or do trainings, that is another form of speaking. This podcast, what you and I are doing right now, this in itself is another form of speaking. So if people want to get better, I would say to them, number one, look for different opportunities to speak in different circumstances. Mm -hmm. And the second way to get better, I think is we've, we've touched on this, push yourself test yourself in a safe environment like Toastmasters, like in a workshop where you can try things and see what the reaction is and then make adjustments. So these are, these are two ideas. A third one that comes to mind as I, as I think of it, for many people, they are comfortable speaking in one type of a situation and they're less comfortable in another type of a situation. And the variables can be things such as how many people are in the audience, whether I know the audience well, whether they're complete strangers, combinations of these. And on my blog, I wrote a post, perhaps we can put it in the show notes. It's called the public speaking fear grid. And I created this very simple two by two grid that people can make an assessment about where they feel more comfortable and where they feel less comfortable. And then the post gives them ideas of how they can get more comfortable in those areas where they're not currently comfortable. They can push oh, themselves. That's awesome. Yeah, we definitely include that. And by the way, when you, when you said, okay, I had the first tip, I had the second tip and I thought, oh, wow, but John is not going to follow the rule of three, but then he added the third one. And I'm, yeah. Exactly. I caught myself <laughs> just in time. <laughs> I get, I get, I, okay, now, now things are in place. You, you mentioned improv that, that you're doing that and that it's helping you get better at speaking. Could you, let's say, briefly introduce the idea of improv to someone who might not be familiar with it and explain a little bit more how is it helping you get better at speaking? Sure. The word improv is a short form for the phrase improvisational comedy or improvisational theater. And what improv is, is you imagine you're in a theater, there are people on stage. It could be two, three, four people. The audience gives suggestions about a relationship or a location or an object, something like that. And the people on the stage 
must then create a scene. They must improvise a scene in the moment. They must create characters, they have to have dialogue, they have to create a plot without any rehearsal. Wow. And it puts you right on the spot. We've, I've been doing this now for seven, eight years. There are all kinds of different games, improv games that we perform on stage. There's longer form stories, there are shorter form improv games. If people go on YouTube and you search whose line is it anyway, that is an example mm -hmm. of great short form improv. And it's incredibly fun. It's fast paced. There is stress involved because you don't know. You go up on stage, you don't know what you're going to be doing. You have it's to create insane. it. It's insane. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> it's, like it's like table topics at Toastmasters, except now you are interacting with other people. And the interesting dynamic with improv is that, you know, Lucas, you and I might be on stage and we get our suggestion and I start formulating an idea in my head thinking, okay, we're now in the desert. And this is what I'm, but before I can say anything about the desert, you say, come on, John, we got to go grocery shopping again. Well, <laughs> you know, we're at the store now and I have to abandon my idea of us being in the desert because now we're in a store. And mm -hmm. this is where improv really helps you with quick thinking and adapting in the moment, something that anybody who does public speaking ha should be good at whether it's answering a question or something happens or you get an idea, being able to adapt in the moment. Beyond that though, improv works on things like teamwork, on leadership, when to lead, when to follow, creativity, active listening. And if you go on a website like Harvard Business Review or Fast Company or Forbes and you search improv, you will find dozens and dozens of articles all about the benefits of improv for the business world. Mm -hmm. Many businesses are now bringing improvisers in to do workshops to stimulate team building and creativity. Uh, hospitals are having doctors do improv classes because they have to work together on a very difficult operation. So there are, it's very fun and funny on the one hand, but there are many, many practical applications to daily life. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a whole, whole fascinating topic. Yes, but can anyone do it? I know that table topics are very challenging for many people, but having table topics and having other people around who mess up with your ideas, it's, it sounds to me almost impossible. No, anybody can do it. And when you say mess up, yes, it's, it's an unintentional mess up in the sense that they propose an idea. And one of the rules of improv is the concept of yes. And whatever uh -huh. your partner says, you accept that. Yeah. So if I'm thinking we're in the desert and you say, well, John, here we are again at the grocery store. I must accept that we are in the grocery store because if mm -hmm. I say, no, we're not Lucas, we're in the desert. <laughs> I, have, I, I have blocked you and I might get a cheap laugh, just like I got from you now. I might get yeah. a laugh from the audience, but what I have done is I've blocked your idea and I've thrown it back to you and put more pressure on you to adjust to me. Mm -hmm. Whereas in improv, what I would do is I'd say, yes, we're here at the store and this time we're going to get 25 pineapples just like I want. And now mm -hmm. you see, now we have a story. Now we can do something with that. And so 
we've done we've done drop-ins we've done workshops where people think oh i can't improvise but yes you can and it, it, the nice thing about the improv community it's very supportive you always have each other's back and there was uh, one of the legends in the improv world from the uk a man named keith johnstone he's written a number of books on the subject he said i believe he said if you're not messing up by your third scene you're doing something wrong because okay. by its very nature improv is imperfect and i think if we if we extrapolate and come back to public speaking i think people should never forget to be a little bit kind to themselves you know they give a presentation or a speech and things don't go a hundred percent the way you'd hoped that's fine it's you know nobody's going to be dwelling on that speech you learn from it you move on I think it was, was it Dale Carnegie, he said, and I love this, he said, there are always three speeches for every one you give. There's the one you prepared, the one you gave, and the one you wish you would have given. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's the, one of the nice things about improv. It teaches you uh, to deal with the unexpected. And, you know, mistakes are going to happen, but that's all part of the process. Yeah, and the way you explain it now, it makes me think it's really, really so needed in, especially in a corporate environment when very often the team collaboration has a lot of friction because different people propose different ideas, but everybody wants to go their own way. And it's hard for them to collaborate because everybody has good intentions, but they want to do things in their own way, but that they just not, cannot find a way how to work together. So maybe a little bit of yes and could be really helpful. Exactly. And over the years, I've seen this so many times. People are sitting around the meeting table in the conference room and somebody has an idea. And what is the immediate response? It's not yes and, it's yes, but. Mm. Yes, this is a great idea, but not this quarter. Yes, this is a, a fine idea, but we don't have the budget. And what I've seen that over time, especially with young people, they can get discouraged from bringing forth an idea because they just think, well, it's just going to be shut down. So why even bother? And then mm -hmm. who knows, maybe the greatest idea that companies had in the last five years never sees the light of day because the person who had it never brought it forward. And so how do you use yes and in that situation? Somebody proposes something. What I tell people is, look, let's say they make a proposal, but you really don't have budget. Instead mm -hmm. of saying, you know, we don't have budget, so no. Why not say, okay, we all know that budget is an issue right now and that times are tight, but let's put the money aside for the moment. If budget were not an issue, how could we do this? And you have a little bit of a discussion and then what often happens, not always, but often, you might find a different way to do the idea or a variation mm -hmm. or maybe another idea comes out of it. The whole point is to really listen to what other people have to offer and see what comes out of it. Of course, there are times when we have to say no in life. If you never say no, yes would have no meaning. Mm -hmm. But if you, instead of having your default position be no, if your default position is more yes, and let's be open to an idea, that's when other good ideas and other good things can happen. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree, agree with that. You, See, you, 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 ju you yeah. just did yes and. Excellent. <laughs>
<laughs> I agree with that. And remembering that you mentioned uh, Keith Johnston and uh, his books, which uh, if you have any specific one to recommend, I will also add in the show notes. I wanted to ask you, since you were uh, a public speaking and public speaking blogging legend, do you have any books coming up? I, I'm working on two book projects at the moment. One is a, is a very interesting project. It's not on public speaking per se, although there is a chapter in there on communication that does cover some of these things. It's uh -huh. a book that I'm working on with four other people, three writers and a, an illustrator who's putting together some fantastic illustrations to supplement the book. The, the working title of the book is Enter Your Flow, An Interactive Journey Toward Fulfillment and Happiness in Your Work Life. And it's all about helping people frame where they currently are, what's working, what's not working, focus on the areas or that they want to work on or improve or where they want to go, and then entering this flow state, entering your flow that you're doing something that you love and that is fulfilling. And that's mm -hmm. been a, a really very fun project to work on. Challenging as well when you're working with a number of other people. It's easier to write a book yourself than it is to work with others because then you have to blend not just different ideas, but if we if people are writing different parts of the book, there has to be this fluent, coherent voice that runs through the whole book. So making sure that the style is the same throughout, but it's been a great project and the draft is now complete and we are in the process of talking with publishers and uh, editors and agents about moving that forward. So that's one project. The other mm -hmm. is a project that I've been working on for some time now. It's been actually in a, in a state of stasis for a few years. It's a book on public speaking that I'm writing myself. And it's something that once this other book is done that I hope to turn to with full force, um, in the near future. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but I'm, can imagine working with the other people that must be really challenging, but writing a book of your own, you have 800 blog posts, right? So I think what you can, I, th I guess 200 blog posts is worth a book. So basically you have four books already. So is it you're just stitching different blog posts together and then that's it? Part of it, it that's part of it. I'm definitely taking content from the blog post and, and working that in, but I'm also developing it a little bit differently. I'm adding some new ideas in as well. And like I said, the project's been, because of, of work commitments and other projects that I've been involved in, that book has not advanced uh, as much as I'd hoped. I've, I think I've got about 80 pages written. But looking back, I can also say that had I, I had the book been published uh, before, the ideas that I have now, especially ideas that I've gotten from working in the pan during the pandemic and being forced mm -hmm. like everybody else online, that is going to add a whole new dimension to the book as well. Congrats for having finished one in collaboration or at least the draft and good luck in the next stages. Thank you. Um, I guess having a book is another great way how to connect with your audience. And I think it's a great way, great thing when it comes to somebody's birthday party. You can give them a book, but you can give them a book that you yourself wrote. That That's pretty cool, I think. That is cool. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe the very last thing I would like to ask you is, if you think about public speaking, not in terms of just being a professional speaker, but thinking of it, as a big picture, having your career 
in public speaking and everything that's connected to it all these things that you're doing like trainings coaching writing blogs books doing videos let's imagine somebody decides today i want public speaking to be my life i want public speaking to be my career what are the initial steps that you let's imagine this person is experienced toastmaster but they never let's say got paid for anything related to public speaking what initial steps would you recommend to that person to get things moving towards making public speaking their career? First thing I would do, or first thing I would recommend, is for them to be very clear about what they want to speak about. Mm. Most of my speaking is, in fact, about public speaking and how to do it. And I, I do talk about other things, but that is the core of what I do. But people can make a living speaking on all kinds of things, whether it's you know, cryptocurrencies, to fine art, to cats, to knitting, to certain kinds of foods. There are topics that everybody can find, for which everybody can find an audience. There are a group of people out there who love Brazilian cooking. There are a group of people out there who love cats. There are millions. Ninety-five <laughs> percent of people, no, love I, cats. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I love cat. We had a cat, uh, our, our our old cat Pico. She passed away a couple of years ago after twenty-one years. That was very hard. We twenty-one-year-old yeah. cat. But my point is, whatever it is that you are interested in, there are people out there who are interested in that thing. So. Mm -hmm. Number one, become clear in your mind what you want to talk about. Second thing I would say is then look for speaking opportunities. And at the outset, you may not and probably won't be paid or not be paid very much, but that's okay. Especially if you're starting out, you need to get the practice. You need to test things out. You need to get in front of audiences, whether they are in the same room or on screen. There are places where you can speak. Look online for different conferences. Go to your local chamber of commerce and offer to talk about a certain topic. And if people can't pay you or they won't pay you at the outset, that's fine. But you should always ask for something in return. It might be something as simple as a testimonial that you can put mm -hmm. on your website. It might be some photos or images of you on stage. It might be a video of your presentation. You start doing these things and it starts, as we say in English, it starts to snowball. It gains momentum. And I think a real good piece of advice, and this really is, it applies for people who want to be, come, who want to break into the public speaking business, but it also applies really to anything you want to do. It's not how well you do on your best day that's going to make the difference it's how well you do every day so consistency is an important thing if you're not speaking on a given day and there will be many days when you're not actually speaking you can be online on linkedin or on a linkedin group that's focused on your subject or on public speaking and you can engage by sharing an idea or answering somebody's question Little by little, day by day, drip by drip, you start to make an impact. Brilliant. 
John, thank you so much for these tips, but thank you for the whole interview. I, I was taking notes while we were taking. There's a lot, and I'll take a lot more when I listen to this again. It was a great pleasure being here with you. I've really enjoyed it a lot, and uh, maybe maybe down the road we'll do a round two. But uh, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed uh, the discussion. Uh, ab- absolutely. So definitely, when your book is out, I think is going to be a great opportunity. And there's so there's a lot more topics that we can explore. So I would definitely love that. So thanks again for making the time, and looking forward to uh, seeing you soon again in person. Thanks, Lucas. If you got excited about a retro game but you don't know where to get it, it's retrogame.com. The link is in the episode notes. If you want to become a pro speaker, write down different options of what do you want to speak about or what could you speak about. Cryptocurrency, fine art, cats, I don't know, growing carrots. Write it down and see if you can come up with some content. Check out the link in the episode notes and connect with Toast of the Wild East. Use at ToastWild on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Till next time, bye bye.